series, 2020, where we are looking for the gospel and looking for Jesus uh, from one cover to the next. And so what we've discovered as we uh, turn the, the page to the New Testament, now we see how this uh, gospel affects our lives. Uh, so uh, most of us, when we hear the name Peter, uh, we, we probably don't think, well, Peter who? Most, most of us know who he is. If you don't know him, that's okay. He was probably the most famous disciple of Jesus. Uh, and he's one that, that many of us relate to because when we first meet him, he's always proving that he has a foot-shaped mouth. Are, are you familiar with that, that term, foot-shaped mouth? Do you know anybody with a foot-shaped mouth? Uh, if you don't, it could be you. I'm just, just saying. Uh, Peter asks some dumb questions. Many times he reacts rather than responds. And of course, he may, may be most famous uh, for abandoning Jesus at his greatest time of need, denying that he even knew him the night of Jesus' arrest and trial. And so a lot of us relate to a lot of, about Peter. But this is not the Peter for him. Uh, after Jesus was resurrected and appeared to his disciples on the beach, uh, Peter was restored. He was reconciled with Jesus. And when we turn the page to the book of Acts, there is a stoic boldness and, and determination in Peter that can only be explained as the power of Jesus working in his life. So some 30 years have passed since we first met him. And a lot of things change in 30 years. And so let's see what the Spirit of God says uh, to, the, to this pillar of the church. We're going to start at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. This is just modern day Turkey. Uh, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you. And peace be multiplied. So uh, the first thing I'd like to call your attention to, the first blank on your outline, notice the Trinity. It's really easy to miss, but, but notice right there in verse 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. There they are. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Verse 2 is evidence of the Trinity. And other religions deny our three-in-one God. But this is the Word of God. It is truth. And this is just one of many verses that confirm what we believe. The evidence of the triune God. I want to encourage all of us, whenever we're reading, to be, to be looking for verses like this that speak of the Trinity because they solidify what we believe about God. Now, one of the techniques that Peter uses is to bring Old Testament imagery to relate to the readers. And it starts right here in verse, verse 1. Uh, t- a couple of, of words or phrases to note in verses 1 and 2. Uh, notice, first of all, the, the phrase, pilgrims of the dispersion. Pilgrims of the dispersion, translated as strangers scattered in the KJV. Uh, A pilgrim is someone living away from home. It includes exiles, foreigners, and strangers. And in this case, because of their faith and persecution that came with it, people were forced to leave their homeland. They had to leave their homeland. Okay, so think back of your knowledge of the Old Testament. Does that remind you of anybody who who, uh, was was asked to, to leave their homeland. To whom did God say, leave your country, 
your people, your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. It was in Genesis uh, chapter 12. You remember? It was Abraham. That's right. Father Abraham. The Abraham who God started the nation of Israel with. Now, it's, it's somewhat significant to us, but it would have been very significant for the original readers. They were not alone. Like Abraham, they were facing tough times. And, and like Abraham, they, they were leaving behind the things that they knew. And from an earthly standpoint, the future was very uncertain. Like Abraham, they wondered if God was going to be faithful. And like Abraham, they probably wondered, um, is this faith worth anything? Because sometimes it doesn't feel like it. And so they were, they were encouraged to keep the faith. And, and we find ourselves in similar places sometimes, don't we? Well, this is to whom Peter is writing to. The pilgrims of the dispersion, uh, verse 2 calls the readers elect. Elect. Uh, So it's a word describing God's people. In the Old Testament, it was a word for Israel. I mean, think back to their history. Israel had their fair share of hardships. I mean, just just read the Old Testament. Even when it was their own sin that brought them there, God was still faithful to His elect. And He will still be faithful today. In the midst of difficulties, to those of us who know Him, God is faithful. See, now we are adopted into the family of Abraham. We are God's people because of Jesus and our faith in him. And so with that in mind, let's continue reading as we pick it up in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time it's it's just it's just rich isn't it i mean think what this would have meant to these scattered dispersed strangers You've been crushed by the struggle. You've had to give up everything because of your faith. You're wondering, is it worth it? People have turned their backs on you. Because of Jesus, we have a living hope. Hope is alive. And anything that you might have to trade for your relationship with Jesus is worth it. Because with this relationship, you receive an inheritance that no one can take away. Not the government, not the stock market. It will not decay. It will not grow old. It will never become weak and feeble. There is a reservation in heaven with your name on it, and it is kept there by the power of God. So keep the faith. Verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Notice that word trials. It's parasmos. Uh, It's the same that we saw in James just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Remember, consider it joy when you you face trials of many kinds. That word parasmos, it includes a test of faith. It includes temptation to sin, whether internal or external. Those thoughts that you wrestle with, that's parasmos. It includes uh, adversity, affliction, trouble. And these trials are described as, as heavy. Every one of us has experienced heavy parasmos, and sometimes daily. And notice what it says. 
In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. And notice this next phrase. If need be, you've been grieved by various trials. So apparently, you and I have a need for trials. Now, if you're like me, you're thinking, well, I need another trial, like I need another hole in my head. But the next blank on your outline, you can write this down. If we have a need, then there is a purpose behind them. If we have a need for these trials, then there is a purpose behind them. Notice what it says, what the purpose is. Verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, the trial is going to deepen your faith. The next blank on your outline. That trial is going to deepen your faith. Let's continue to read. So Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. So, in other words, the trial that deepens your faith is going to produce joy. It produces joy. Look at verse 9. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so, this faith-producing and deepening trial, it brings joy and salvation. Next blank, right there. It brings salvation for our souls. Now, wouldn't we all agree... We need salvation. We need joy. We need faith. So we need trials. Uh, Verse 10, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow, to them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering, the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. And notice the Old Testament references as Peter continues. Number one there on your outline, he encourages us to be ready. Be ready. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. So notice that phrase, uh, gird up the loins of your mind. You may be uh, familiar with that phrase, gird up girding up the loins. It's a call to get ready for action. Uh, In biblical times, robes were worn, and to gird up the loins, you took the the hem of the robe and tucked it up up by the waist so that it wouldn't get in the way of of moving forward. Now, we see the same idea in Exodus 12, 11. So God is speaking to the people of Israel. Uh, These were the instructions for eating the Passover meal right before they left Egyptian slavery. So check this out, Uh, Exodus 12, 11. Thus you shall eat it, With a belt on your waist, with sandals on your feet, and your staff in hand, so you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. In in other words, be ready to move because you're going to be leaving soon. Now, we know now that the Passover pointed straight to Jesus. At the first Passover, God's people were saved by the blood of the Lamb on their doorposts. We are saved by the blood of the Lamb on our hearts. Now, it's likely that this Passover image would have come to the original readers' minds. 
And so the message is, okay, listen, this place is not your home. You're leaving away your, your former way of life. You're, you're, you're leaving behind this world one day. God is prepared to move on behalf of his people, even when it seems like he's not going to, even when it seems like he's not listening. But don't lose hope. Don't give up. Don't get distracted by the things of this world. Don't become complacent. Remember, complacency deceives us. Be ready for God to move, and be ready to move when God tells you. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. Be ready, move forward. Number two on your outline, be holy. Be holy. Uh, 1 Peter 1.15 says this, But as he who called you is holy... Holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Okay, so the question becomes, where is it written? It said, uh, verse, verse 16, Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Well, the answer is Leviticus. And I don't know if you're familiar with the book of Leviticus. Uh, it is not an easy read. It starts out by giving uh, very specific guidelines for all the, the different offerings. When we studied it in our study here, uh, we saw each one of those pointed to Jesus. The sin offering, the fellowship offering, the grain offering, all of them. Uh, Then it goes into these priestly purifications and rituals and what animals they could and could not eat. Rule after rule after guideline after guideline. And near the end of chapter 11, Leviticus 11, 44, it says, For I am the Lord your God, you shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, by, by quoting this ancient text, Peter is equating these first century believers with God's people. They are now God's people by faith in Jesus Christ. He's the only way any of us are holy. We don't keep a bunch of rules anymore to be made right with God. Now we live lives of holiness because we've already been made right with God through Christ. Verse 17, and if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So here's another reference to the, the Passover lamb. Jesus is making all things new. Believers now are leaving behind the old way of life. We are realizing this world is not our home. We are on our way out. And just like Israel, they were on their way out in Exodus chapter 12, out of Egyptian slavery. Verse 20. Jesus, indeed, was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest or made obvious in these last times for you who through him believe in God, who were raised from the dead, and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Be ready. Be holy. Number three, be in the Word. Be in the Word. Pick it up in verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren... Love one another fervently with a pure heart, 
having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. So notice in these verses what the Word of God does in our lives. First of all, it helps us love. It helps us love. Notice the command there in verse 22. Love one another fervently. Okay, so, so how do we do that? Well, one way is, just continue in verse 23. Through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. See, there is something about the Word of God that when we allow it into our lives, it saturates into other areas of our lives and it begins to affect them. It even helps us to love one another. It even helps us to love the unlovable. It also purifies our hearts. The next blank on your outline. It purifies our hearts. So, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Okay, again, so how do we do that? Verse 23, through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. See, the truth of the Word of God purifies. When we allow the light of truth to shine in the darkest places of our lives, sin is exposed, and as believers, we should not want to run back to the darkness. We should desire the light of the Word to purify us. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be fully equipped. Remember? And so, in other words, God's Word tells us what we believe, why we believe it. It tells us if we're going the wrong way, and then it shows us the right way to go and how to stay on that path. This Word endures forever. Look at chapter 2. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. The next blank on your outline. The word helps us grow. The word helps us grow. Uh, think, think back to your kids or, or grandkids when they were newborn. Uh, you never had to remind them, hey, it's time to get up, it's time to eat. They, they always reminded you of that, didn't they? Um, there, there was a craving within them that they just, they, they needed to eat, that, that hunger. And so right here, that's kind of how our, our spiritual lives are, are, are pictured. That's how they should be. And I wonder how many of us are living on spiritual junk food? How many of us, uh, we just, we're starving because we just don't eat? Babies don't just eat one meal a week, one big meal a week, and then call it good for the rest of the week. None of us do that. And that, that one kind of hurts, doesn't it? But many times that's what we do with our spiritual lives. We eat one big meal on, on Sunday. And then we call it good for the rest of the week. But it's just not how it, how it is. Is there a spiritual hunger in your life? Are you living on spiritual junk food? I, uh, I'll probably never forget a conversation. I've, I've had it a couple of times now. Uh, when a friend asked me what I thought of a very popular TV preacher. 
And he said that, that he enjoys listening to him because he always makes him feel good when he does. Now, now church, if all a preacher ever does is make you feel good, then there is a big part of the Word of God that's missing. And that's conviction of sin. Not condemnation, but conviction. There's a big difference. Conviction is full of grace. Condemnation is, full of, uh, is, is not. But if I have ongoing sin in my life, then I shouldn't be able to listen to a message and feel good. Uh, we have to be careful that we're not living on spiritual junk food. And that's why we need a steady diet of the Word and, and, and how it applies to our lives. And thankfully, we live in a time where there are many resources out there to help us do that. <clears throat> His Word helps us love. His Word purifies our hearts. It helps us be ready. It helps us be holy. And that's why we need to be in the Word. In Christ, God has made this new covenant people. And if you are a believer, you are a part of the new. As we move to chapter 2, the Old Testament connections continue. Therefore, laying aside all malice, once again, verse 1 there, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house. Okay, so what image do you think would have come to the original readers' minds when they heard spiritual house? Temple, the temple, right? The connection point for God and men, the place where all these rituals were done to, to be made holy. But now you are being built up into a new spiritual house, a new temple of which Jesus is the cornerstone, the most important foundational stone. And so number four on your outline, be the temple. Be the temple. Be that place where God resides. Be a place where He is welcome. Be a place where things happen like He wants them to happen. Be that connection point between God and others. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer the spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter uh, quotes Psalm 118 and Isaiah 28. Therefore it is also, verse 6, contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, Precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. These ancient texts are being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He is building a new temple within the people of God. Verse 8, they stumble, being disobedient to the word, which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Hear the grace of in these words. 
And listen to Exodus 18, God's word to Moses speaking to Israel. Now therefore, if indeed you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. See the connection with the the Old Testament telling these believers, you are now God's people because of Christ. And because because of Jesus, we need to be ready. We need to live lives of holiness. We need to be in the Word because we are the temple. And so therefore we have hope. No matter what trials we face, we can be confident that God is faithful and He is moving on behalf of His people. This world is not our home. And I hope to pick it up right here next week. As we go into a time of of invitation, would you just bow your head and close your eyes? Just allow God to do business in your heart. What trial are you going through? I know I can look around the room and I, I know some of your trials, these, these heavy, deep, heavy burdens. What's God trying to talk to you through them? I know that He will speak to your heart and I know that He can redeem any situation. He promises that in His Word. And so maybe you just need to pray a prayer of faith that God is still in control and that He has your best in mind and you just need to trust Him. What has God said to you through His, through his Word today? Are, are you living on spiritual junk food? Are you uh, starving spiritually? One meal a week? It's not going to do it. Do you have hope? Are you ready? If Jesus were to return this instant and you met Him face to face, are you ready for that? Because we can be. We can be. Because of the living hope that we have in Christ.